0: as Friday night at 7.30, Saturday night at 7.30, and then on Sunday at, at 11 a.m., Brother Doug Kleindienst will be preaching and ministering in those services. Those will be regular Grace Church service nights. The praise team will be singing. We'll be having service almost like a crusade, if you will, so please come to those, mark your calendar, and let's be a part of the call conference at, right here at Grace Church. It's a tremendous uh, privilege and honor to get to host this and be a part of this, to be the, the host church for this, so Help us support that and be a part of it in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I know that you have been standing for a long time. Thank you for your kindness and respect for the presence of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life and we have known and believed the love that god hath to us god is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in god and god in him he that loveth not knoweth not god for god is love but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of god perfected hereby we know That we are in Him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And hope maketh not to be ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew not Him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. These sacred words, written with infallible ink, give us a glimpse into the infinite, matchless, divine love of God. Yet any attempt of our finite human intellect to discern the love of God is to describe the indescribable. And it is an attempt to explain the unexplainable. So vast is God's love. Yet mankind has tried for centuries to do that. St. Augustine tried to explain it when he said God loves each of us as though there were only one of us. The singer and poet Rich Mullins composed these lines in an attempt to grasp the love of God. He said, There's a wideness in God's mercy that keeps me aching with the yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury they call the love of God. I love that imagery associated with that description of God's love, that imagery that it's reckless, and furious to me that is indeed a profound statement to me it's the beautiful symmetrical fury of a storm or the authoritative fury of a lion it's it's not the type fury that we fear rather it's a fury to be swept up in one that relentlessly pursues you because it sees the worth and the value in you you can't hold it back once it's unleashed You can't argue with it, you can't diminish it, you can't try to overcome it. It's a fierceness of God's love, and it is coming for you, and it's coming for me. In our survey this morning of the love of God, let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis and start at that great book of beginnings. In the beginning, in the beginning, the sacred text begins here to commence a 3500 year history of God's relationship with man in just three words. There is a saying in ancient Judaism that all beginnings are hard, but in Genesis chapter one, God makes this beginning look very easy. He spoke and it was everything we see earth, sun, moon and stars and more was spoken into existence by The word of God, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So God looked on everything he created and in just three words, he complimented the excellency of his own craftsmanship by saying it was good. And just as things were beginning to come together, as if on cue, the villain of the story, the villain of our story appears, the devil, the tempter. The opposer of God enters into the picture in Genesis chapter 3 and he facilitates the fall of Adam and Eve when he posited the question, Hath God said? With just those three words, he planted the seed of doubt into their mind as to the validity and veracity of God's word. And thus sin entered into the world. So perhaps from this perspective, the beginning was, in fact, difficult. To address this problem of the sin of man, God introduced through Moses the law, an imperfect solution to be sure. And with just three words, God set the standard of conduct, a moral code, when he said, thou shalt not. And down through the centuries, men and women have wrestled with the law, trying to keep it failing mercilessly and miserably. At best, their remedy was found in having the high priest go into the holy of holies, but then... It was only once a year to offer a sacrifice and roll those sins and failures and shortcomings ahead one year when the process would be repeated all over again. But then good news, when the fullness of time had come, God spoke words through the angel to Mary when he said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Those three words changed everything. Because now the time had come for God to show up and insert himself into the story of mankind. He was coming to do what the law could not do. And that was to eradicate sin once and for all. So Jesus Christ, the physical embodiment of God's love, walked the earth for 33 years doing miracles. Pointing the way to God and commending all men everywhere to repent. And on many occasions, he performed these miracles, these supernatural divine actions that changed the circumstances of those that called on his name. And many times, all he had to do was utter a simple phrase for the work to be done. Oftentimes, it was just as simple as three words. He looked at a leprous man and said, be thou clean. He walked into a storm and said, peace, be still. He stood ...at the tomb of a dead man and said, Lazarus, come forth. I want you to know today those same words have echoed down through the epochs of time... ...and Jesus' words are still speaking into the lives of men and women today. Uh, The scripture says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today... And forever. So that same miracle working power of Jesus Christ is still working and speaking in the lives of men and women today. So if you're here today and you need cleansing from sin, He's still here to cleanse you. And if you're in a storm today and need peace, He's still speaking peace, be still. If there are things in your life that you have abandoned and left for dead, He can still resurrect them. Jesus is still giving life today to those that call on His name. Yet the greatest three words that Jesus ever spoke are those that so many of us learned as children in a Sunday school class. Those simple yet profound words that echo through time, words written by the great apostle John in his epistle, John chapter 3, or rather his gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16. And they are simply God. So loved for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. In Sunday school, we heard it like this. We heard Jesus loves me. And I like that because it makes it personal. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Karl Barth, the famed German theologian, upon visiting the United States, had a seminary student approach him and supposedly ask, Dr. Barth, what is the single most important truth you've learned as a theologian? Barth replied, the single most important truth I have learned is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It really is the gospel in just three words. Jesus loves you and he loves me so much that he, ga- he came and gave his life as a ransom. Again, that great apostle John, who wrote so often and so acutely about love, takes it a step further in his epistles to the church, verifying that not only does God love us, but God is love. That is to say, love is God's very character in essence. When you get God, you get love because that's what he is. John writes, we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And how did God choose to demonstrate that love to us? The great apostle Paul answers that question unequivocally in Romans chapter 5 when he writes, But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, the Apostle John in 1 John 4 and 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. When God wanted to show us how much he loved us, he took the unprecedented step of wrapping himself in flesh and living among us as the man, Christ Jesus. And after 33 years, they took him, arrested him, accused him falsely, gave him an unfair trial, and then they beat him and took him out to Calvary's hill and crucified him between two thieves. And as the nails pierced his hands and pierced his feet, he laid down his life because of his divine love for you and his divine love for me. It was the embodiment of God so loved the world there had to be a sacrifice there had to be an atonement for sin and jesus christ became that sacrifice and in his dying moments on the cross with just the last breath that he had he ended it with just three words when he said it is finished and with that jesus paid it all every price every penalty the atonement once and for all For sin was accomplished. And the scripture says. Sin when it is finished. Bringeth forth death. That's why Jesus had to die. Sin always finishes. In death. But with Jesus death. He finished sin. Once and for all. So in our examination today. Of the love of God. There are really two questions before us. And the first is this. How do we know that God. Loves us. How do I know that God loves me? And how do I know that God loves you? The answer is in that simple child song, that simple Sunday school song, for the Bible tells me so. For the Bible tells me so. But we have to understand today that we have to understand today the weight and the enormity and the gravity of the Holy Scriptures and what they say. So to answer the question, how do we know God loves us, let us go back and understand that when John and Paul and these other men were writing the Bible, they wrote about the love of God and Scripture, but they were not writing from the intellect of man. Rather, they were writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Consider 2 Peter 2, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. To state it another way, these men did not write what they remembered. They wrote what the Holy Spirit remembered through them. How can that be? Again, it's the Apostle John that gives us the answer when he writes, But the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So where the apostles might forget or might report inaccurately in their writing, the Holy Spirit would not forget. And so as these men picked up pen and began to reflect on their time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit wrote through them the record. And it is as though though the singular focus, the one fact that God wanted punctuated through the narrative was the divine love of God. It almost appears to me that if there was one thing God wanted to make unequivocally sure was that we knew and understood the divine love love of God these words that Jesus spoke for God so loved that he gave they are included in the canon for the divine purpose of declaring to everyone everywhere the matchless love of God so I say today need we any further proof of the love of God than the holy scriptures that he's given us signaling and signifying the word of God The second question among us today for consideration is how much does God really love us? One poet attempted to answer this question when he penned the hymn entitled The Love of God. And in particular, verse 3 that I love says, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God's love is so vast and so deep and so divine that we cannot analyze it. It cannot be fully comprehended by human reason. To place it under a microscope, to try to figure it out, is to lose its full weight and gravity, yet one measure of comparison that we might could employ today is found in the human bond between parent and child. At one point, Jesus said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our heavenly Father give to them that ask? The analogy is clear, that in the love a parent has for a child, there can be some reflection of the love that God has for us. I remember... In the days following the birth of our firstborn, bringing him home from the hospital, all that nervousness of a new parent, adjusting to a new routine, and realizing that it was possible to love another human being in a way that I had never before imagined. This was a different era of time, and we had not been home but just a few hours when I heard a news report that Osama bin Laden had released another video saying that he was going to blow the United States off the map. And when I heard that, I began having a little conversation with Mr. Bin Laden in my head. And I let him know that he may have blown away the Twin Towers. And I let him know that he may try another assault on the homeland. But he would never get my baby. If he tried, he would feel all the fury of the father of a newborn before he came anywhere close to getting to my newborn son. But even that analogy comes up short. It comes up woefully inaccurate in describing and depicting the intense love of our heavenly Father. The only way to actualize the full tenor of the love of God is to experience it. And when you experience it, everything changes. You can't describe it. You can't explain it but you know it when you experience it. You begin to see the world differently. You walk and talk differently. Your relationships are different. When the love of God has been experienced by a man or a woman, their life is transformed completely, and it begins an inexorable change for the better. It really is, as the Scripture says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. You don't find this kind of love in our world today. It is in less than plentiful supply. I'm talking about a divine love that knows no end. I'm talking about a love that knows no boundaries. It has no beginning. It has no ending. It's not a love that's typical in our generation. But it is the kind of matchless love and divine love that is woven like a thread through the Scriptures. And in particular, the Old Testament. The concept of the love of God in the Old Testament hinges on a Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word is hesed, hesed. Throughout the Old Testament, you will find this word translated in various ways. In some places, it's translated as deal kindly. In other places, it's translated as loving kindness. In still other places, it's translated as the word mercy. For example, in Ruth chapter 1 verse 8 Naomi entreats the Lord to deal kindly with her daughters-in-law. The word there is hesed. But the real sense of the word in our terms in English would be better understood by the term loyal love. Hesed really means loyal love. It's a love, listen, based not on on the other person's attitude towards you as the giver of love. It's based not on the other person's reciprocation of love to you, but rather it is a love based solely on your commitment to them. Hesed speaks of a love with no exit strategy. That is why Paul wrote, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church.'" It's because Christ loved the church not on the condition of being loved back, but rather his love for us is a love with no plan B. I'm talking about a God. He's not patiently waiting on the sideline for you to receive His love. Rather, He is actively and vigorously pursuing you with a desire to pour His love on you. Much like the father in the parable of the prodigal son took off running when his long lost son returned, so is the relentless, far reaching, never quitting, all consuming love of God it's a love with no plan B it's a love with no exit strategy it's a love that's all in it's a love that's all in Clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise in a world where violence hate and strife seems to increase on a daily basis it is the love of God that stands in in stark contrast, and in silent testimony that there is a better way. In a world where relationships break us and relationships can be so destructive, it's the definition in a world where the definition of the word love is distorted. How amazing to know that God's divine love never fails and it's open to everyone. Brennan Manning said in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, quote, we should be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he should bother to call us by name, our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered that at this very moment we are standing on holy ground. I remember the first time I experienced the love of God. As just a small boy, I heard the children's church leader say, tell a story about a beloved family dog that had laid down his life for one of the children in the family. And that's when I began to really catch a glimpse, however small, into how much this selfless love of God really was. Now, I'm not comparing divine love with canine love here this morning. It's just that in my little dog-loving, childish brain, the analogy worked. And I understood that God loved me so much that He laid down His life for me. And it wasn't too long after that that I went down to the Pentecostal altar. It was probably on a weeknight because we had revival services every weeknight back in those days. And I repented of my sins and wore out the saints until they were able to pray me through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence in speaking of tongues. But probably more significantly than that was when I was 16, it was a day service at youth camp, and I stayed around the altar long after the service was over and after everyone had left. And I think that was significant because it was as though the windows of heaven opened and it became just a straight channel between God and me. And God poured out His love on me in a real way, in a life-defining way, in a direction-changing way. And God poured out His Spirit and gave me ex- an experience that day that the world did not give and the world cannot take away. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Romans chapter 8 when he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor pre- our principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I'll say again, the world didn't give it, and the world didn't take it away. This is a love of God that is for you, and it's for me. All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is take it. It's for all of us. And the Scripture tells us, as I bring this into a conclusion today, it tells us that one day in the near future, Jesus Christ will return again and receive the church up into heaven as his bride. And how fitting that the sacred text is sealed in its final verses with three words. Even so come. On that day, his love for the church will be fully consummated when we are caught up in the air to join him. And so shall we ever be with him. I want to conclude this morning by telling you about Eliza Edmund Hewitt. She was born in Philadelphia in 1851. She became a teacher, but a serious spinal problem cut short her career and made her an invalid for most of her life. She felt a need to be useful to her local church, and she began writing poems and hymns mainly for the Sunday school department. One of those hymns was titled, My Faith Hath Found a Resting Place. And the chorus of that song, that hymn, sums up my message today. And it says this, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Would you stand with me this morning? It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Whatever you brought into this place this morning, whether it's repeated mistakes, life shattered by sin, relationships broken far beyond what anything you thought they would be at this point in your life, I'm preaching to you this morning a remedy. And that remedy is found in those three words you learn in Sunday school. Jesus loves me. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his love and mercy toward them that fear him. I submit to us this morning, as you are prayerfully considering the words of God this morning, I submit to you that we have greatly underestimated the the love of God. We have greatly underestimated the love of God. Someone once said, legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. That's the message today. All you have to do is come down to this altar with an open heart, repent of your sins, and ask God to fill your life with his love. It's that easy. And he will overflow your life with his love. So as they play softly, begin to sing. I'm going to open up the front of this building. I want everybody to come. The love of God is for everybody. I don't care if this is your first time in church or if you've been serving God all your life. We need a fresh, new realization and revelation of the love of God. Because it changes everything. The love of God truly is the hope of the world. So would you pray this morning? And I'm going to pray over you this morning, and I want you to let the love of God flood across this building. Would you come? Would you come all over the building? Come. We've got a few minutes this morning to experience the love of God, Jesus. We have preached your word this morning. Lord, we've preached the book. It's the divine, matchless love of God. Lord, I pray that it would be applied to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Lord, let it overwhelm our lives. Let it flood our lives, God. Let it change our lives. Lord, if we could catch a glimpse of the love of God, everything would change. Everything would change. God, I believe the gospel message hinges on the love of God. Would you do it right now, Jesus? Would you do it right now, Jesus? Flow across this place. Come on, Grace Church, that's it. That's it. I'm talking about the most valuable commodity on the planet. It's the love of God. I'm talking about the greatest thing that's ever happened to any of us, and it's the love of God. Young people, you need to experience the love of God. Moms and dads, we need to experience the love of God. Grandparents, overcomers, we need to experience the love of God. Come on, pray for one another. Let's, let, let's form a chain of love and a bond of love. Come on, Grace Church. Before we're dismissed, would you just take the hand of the person next to you and raise it heavenward, and let's sing this as an anthem together. Let's sing this as an anthem together. Lord, unite us together in love. Bind us together in love. Lord, by this shall all men know your love one towards another. God, let your love sweep across this place right now. God, bind us together in your love right now. Come on, that's it. That's it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How you love us, Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it. God, it's your love that can change our families. It's your love that can change our community. It's your love that can change our church. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God bless you today, Grace Church. God bless you today. Those of you that are praying, continue to pray. If you have to leave, this is our way of saying God bless you. Remember the schedule this week. God bless you so much for being in the house of the Lord today.